So this week we are continuing our sermon series called The Tech Commandments. For the last few weeks we've been working our way through a series of sermons in which we're exploring the ways that new technologies, cell phones, the internet, and social media are changing the world around us and sometimes even changing us. And in this series we're asking the question, how can we, how can we use these technologies without losing our souls? Each week in this series, we're hearing a message from the New Testament letter of James, a letter that was written by by many people believe the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, one of the most important leaders in the early church. This morning, we've invited our friend Bridget to share with us another passage from the letter of James. Listen for God's voice as Bridget shares with us these words from the New Testament. Who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life that your works are done with gentleness of horn of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boastful and false to the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, devil. I think. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there will also be disorder and wickedness of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy and the harvest of harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace all my beloved do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. For the word of God to the people of God, thanks be to God! So a while back I heard this story. It was the story of a religious leader, an Indian guru, who started a religious movement back in the 1980s. And this Religious leader, this guru, led this religious movement, and over the years it grew and it spread until this guru had thousands of followers all around the world. For almost 30 years, this guru led his his religious movement, and then back in 2014, suddenly, unexpectedly, one day the, the guru died. His followers called in the doctors, and the doctors checked for a pulse, and the doctors hooked the guru up to an ECG machine just to make sure that he was truly dead. They discovered, they declared that he had died. Not long after that, the guru's son made a journey to pick up his father's body. He wanted to have his father cremated in accordance with Hindu custom, and so he made a journey. He traveled to the ashram, to the religious center where the guru's followers had been watching over his body. And the guru's son knocked on the door, and when it was opened, he said to the guru's followers, he said, Hello, he said, I'm the guru's son. I've come to to take my father's body. I've come to take my, my father home. And this is the point where the story takes a really weird turn. Because when he said, I've come to take my father's body home, the guru's followers looked at the guru's son and said, Oh, they said, 
well, we would let you have your father's body, except, except we can't because your father hasn't actually died. And the guru's son said, what do you mean my father hasn't died? The doctors came, they examined him, they declared that he had died. What do you mean that my father isn't dead? And they said, oh, that thing with the doctors, that was just a, a big misunderstanding. They said, your father isn't really dead. He's just meditating. He's in a deep state of meditation. Come on, they said, we'll show you. And then the guru's followers took the guru's son to a place where there was a walk-in freezer. And they opened the door of the freezer. And sure enough, there in the walk-in freezer was the frozen body of this Indian guru. See, the guru's followers said to his son, your father hasn't, dead. He hasn't died. He's just, he's just meditating. And the guru's son said, what, what do you mean my father isn't dead? He's clearly dead. His body has turned green and you've just stuck him in the freezer. What do you mean my father isn't dead? And they said, oh no, I know it looks like he's dead, but he's not really dead. This is just how he likes to meditate. You know, your father used to spend a long time up in the Himalayan mountains, meditating up in those snow-capped peaks, and now he prefers to meditate in sub-zero temperatures. And so we've put him here in the freezer because this is where he likes to be. But he's, he's just meditating, and we're sure that any month now he's going to come back to us. And, and you'll see that your father isn't dead. He's been alive this whole time. And that was the beginning, that moment was the beginning of one of the strangest, one of the most bizarre legal cases in all of human history. Now the guru's son took the guru's followers to court and since 2014, for the last several years, the guru's son and the guru's followers have been fighting in the Indian courts over whether or not the guru is really dead. The guru's son says he's dead, I'd like to have his body. The guru's followers said he's not dead, he's just meditating. And all of the years that this has been going on and all of these years it's dragged out since 2014, this whole time the guru's body has been sitting there in the walk-in freezer. And now you might wonder why anybody would make up such an obviously untrue story, why anybody would tell such an obviously untrue lie. And the answer, of course, is that, well, it all comes down to money. At the time he died back in 2014, the, the guru's estate was valued at something like $150 million. And as long as the guru is alive, that estate, that fortune, is controlled by the guru's followers. But as soon as he's declared legally dead, as soon as he's cremated and his body is handed over to his relatives, the fortune is also, the estate is also going to be handed over to his relatives. And so you can see, you can understand why the guru's followers might be a little bit reluctant to hand over the guru's body. Now, I have to confess that when I first heard this story, even though it's, it's dark and sad and has some really awful elements to it, I have to confess that, that I had a little bit of a chuckle the first time I heard this story. Because I couldn't help but think this story reminded me of that old Monty Python sketch about the dead parrot. Do you remember this one? This is an old comedy routine, one of the most famous comedy routines in all of the last hundred years, in which a man walks into a pet store with a, a parrot that he's just bought, but he's discovered that the parrot is dead. And so he's taking the parrot back to the pet store to get his money back. And he, he shows it to the man behind the counter, but the man behind the counter at the pet store refuses to give him his money back because he says the parrot isn't dead, the parrot is just asleep. And then they go on and on and they argue about whether or not the parrot is dead or whether or not the parrot is, is just asleep. It's, it's a classic comedy routine. And I couldn't help but think about Monty Python and the, the dead parrot when I heard the story of the Indian guru and his son and his followers fighting about whether or not he was dead in the courts. I couldn't help but have a, a chuckle the first time I heard this story. And then I remember, I, I thought to myself, boy, I sure am glad that followers of Jesus don't do this sort of thing. 
I sure am glad that followers of Jesus don't make up obviously untrue stories. I sure am glad that followers of Jesus don't spread untruth and misinformation. I sure am glad that followers of Jesus don't don't just tell whatever story, whatever version of the truth happens to be most convenient or most emotionally satisfying at any moment. That's what I said. I'm glad the followers of Jesus aren't like that. And then I checked my email, and that turned out to be a mistake. Because I remember the day that I heard that story, the the moment I checked my email, I discovered that my inbox was filled with all of these stories. All of these stories filled with all cap letters and exclamation points. Stories about politicians who were out to persecute Christians in America. Stories, Stories about corporations that were out to offend Christians in America. Stories about brave young college students who challenged their atheistic college professors in America. Stories that were obviously untrue. Stories that were verifiably untrue. My inbox was filled with all of these rumors and untruths and all of this misinformation and everyone Every one of those stories had been shared with me by somebody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. And when I checked my email that day, I discovered, I was reminded that when it comes to spreading untruth and misinformation, when it comes to believing lies because they feel too good to check, we followers of Jesus are in no position to be pointing fingers. The truth is that we can be just as stubborn in clinging to an untruth as the next person can. Years ago, I, I had a friend, notice how I say that, I had a friend who loved to send me these, these stories. Now, back in those days, it was, it was email mostly that she would use to send me these stories, but sometimes she would post them on, on social media and tag me in these stories. And it seems like this friend of mine just sat around all day long watching for things on the internet that made her angry and outraged so that she could share them with all of her friends on social media and and everybody in her email address book. And I remember sometimes I would get seven or eight of these stories from my friend every day. And most of the time I just ignored those stories. Because even though I knew that the stories weren't true, even though it was easy enough to look them up and and to tell that they were filled with, with lies and misinformation, I ignored those stories because I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to put our our friendship in jeopardy. But then I remember one day, I don't remember why, but I remember one day, finally I decided to respond to one of these messages. You know, my friend had sent me a story. It was one of these stories that had been floating around social media for, for more than 10 years. It was a story that I had been tagged in and sent through email over and, and over and over again. It was a story that I had fact-checked so many times that I knew that it was untrue and I knew the truth by heart. And for some reason, for whatever reason that day, I decided that I was going to respond to this story. And so I replied to, to this, this email that I got from my friend and, and I started out my, my message to her by saying, hello, hello, dear friend, because I can be just as passive aggressive as the next guy. I said, hello, dear friend. I said, thank you so much for reaching out to me so often and for caring enough about me that you want to share with me things that you think are important and you think I ought to know about. Thank you so much for sending me all of these messages. I said, I just want you to know that this last message you sent me, this last email that you sent, had some misinformation in it. 
And I know that you wouldn't want to want to willingly believe or spread something that was untrue. And I know that if I, I were to say something that was untrue, I would want somebody to reach out and, and correct me and tell me the truth. And so here are some links to, to some websites where you can find the facts, where you can find the truth behind this story that, that you shared with me. I hope this, this message finds you well, and I hope to hear from you again soon, I said. And, and then I clicked send. A few seconds later, my computer went ding. I had a response. I had an email in my inbox, a, a reply from my friend. And I thought to myself, oh, good. I'll bet she's sending me an email to let me know how grateful she is that I cared enough to correct this misinformation and to reach out to her with, with the truth of this story. And so I, I opened the email expecting to find a thank you message from my friend. Would you believe that my friend hadn't actually written me a, a thank you message? Instead, what my friend had, had written me was a message that said, well, she said, I just don't have the time to check the facts behind every story that I send to people. And I have to tell you, at that point, I started to, to become a little bit impatient. And, and I thought to myself, when I read that message, I thought to myself, you don't have the time. What do you, what do you mean you don't have the time to check the facts behind every story that you, you send to people? As far as I can tell, all you do is sit in front of the computer all day waiting for something to, to make you angry. If you've got the time to send out seven or eight of these messages and stories every day, then you have got the time to, to do a quick search to find out whether or not these stories are true. That's what I thought. That's not what I said. Because at this point, I was still trying to protect, protect this, this relationship, this friendship that we had. I didn't want to rock the boat. I didn't want to put our, our friendship in jeopardy. And so instead of, of writing all those things, what I, I said to my friend was, I said, well, actually, you'll be glad to know that it's not that hard to, to check the facts behind these stories. Most of the time, just a simple Google search will, will let you know whether or not a story is true. Here are some links to some websites that make it easy to find out whether or not a rumor that you've seen on the internet is, is an actual truthful story or whether it's just a lie that somebody hopes that you'll believe and pass on. And then I clicked send. And a few seconds later, my computer went ding again. And, and then I got another message from my friend. And this time I wasn't expecting her to say thank you. And it's a good thing I wasn't expecting that because she, she didn't say thank you. Instead, this time what she wrote to me was, well, she said, it, it doesn't matter whether or not the story is true. The important thing is that it expresses how I feel and I think it makes some good and important points. That's the thing that really matters. And now I have to confess to you at this point, I really did lose my filters. And I sent her back a message and I said, no, I said, the thing that matters, the important thing is that every time we share misinformation, every time that we share an untruthful story, we're breaking one of God's commandments. And I don't mean the, the little commandments. I mean, we are breaking one of the, the big 10 commandments. We are breaking the commandment that goes, thou shalt not bear false witness. That's the thing that's important. That, that's the point. And I clicked send. And a few minutes later, the, the computer went ding again. And I opened up the email, not expecting any kind of, of happiness or pleasantness in that email. And I wasn't disappointed because in that final email to me, what she said was, she said, if you don't want to read my stories, then you don't have to open the emails. If you don't want to read my stories, then you can just keep on scrolling. And that was the end of our friendship. And unfortunately, one of the things that I've learned the hard way through the years is that this is usually how this conversation goes. 
And when you try to correct something that somebody has shared, when you tell people that they've been deceived and that they're spreading rumors and half-truths and lies, that often leads to really unpleasant conversations and sometimes even the end of a, a, a friendship. And, and even knowing all of that, even having had that experience, still this morning, I'm going to try to say to you what I tried to say to her all of those years ago. It would be great if followers of Jesus would stop telling lies on the internet. We, of all people, should care about whether a story is true or whether it is untruthful. We, of all people, should care to protect our reputation for credibility and honesty on the internet and in the world because we, of all people, should know that our faith, the Christian gospel, is built on the foundation of a story that most people will have a hard enough time believing from us even if they find us to be credible. And the Christian faith is built on a story that goes like this. There was a man who was killed in front of witnesses. He was declared dead by authorities. He was pierced in the side just to make sure. And then he was laid in a tomb. And the Christian faith, the Christian gospel, rests on the proclamation that this man, who everyone, the whole world, saw to be dead, is now alive. And if people can't trust us when we talk about politicians... And if people can't believe us when we talk about corporations, and if people find us to be untruthful in the other stories that we tell, then why should they ever listen to us when we tell them that a man walked out of his tomb? Every time, every time a follower of Jesus spends, spreads untruth and misinformation on the internet, on social media, it becomes that much harder for us to reach the world with the good news, with the truth of God's love in Jesus. James understood that. James, this leader in the church, James, the brother of Jesus, was writing his letter at a time when most people hadn't heard of Jesus, let alone ever met a living, breathing Christian. James understood that, that the moment in which he was living was the moment when followers of Jesus were making their first impression on the world. And so James, in this letter to the church, in this letter to the followers of Jesus, he says, listen, he says, understand you are the ambassadors of the gospel. Before people make up their mind about the truth of the gospel, before people make up their mind about Jesus, people are going to make up their minds about you. And if people find us to be uncredible, if people find us to be dishonest, then the gospel, the gospel will not, will not touch their hearts. The gospel will not give them peace. The gospel, the gospel will not raise them from the graves in which they are currently living. In his letter to, to the church, in his letter to the followers of Jesus, James gives people some advice that still rings true to this day. In his letter to the church, James says, James says, never say anything out of partiality or bitterness. He says, never let anybody have any reason to question your honesty or your credibility. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Let all the world find you to be gentle and peaceable and willing to yield. And those words, that advice that James wrote to followers of Jesus as they became ambassadors of the gospel 2,000 years ago, apply still to us today as we become ambassadors of the gospel in the internet and in social media. Never say anything out of partiality or bitterness. If you're scrolling through social media, if you're reading your emails and you see something that makes you feel a really strong and intense emotion, if you see something that makes you feel anger or outrage, that's a good sign that someone is manipulating you. 
that's a good sign that someone is probably only telling you half the truth. When you feel that anger, when you feel that outrage, when you want to share this story out of bitterness or partiality, that's a good moment to take a deep breath. Maybe step away from your computer or your phone and then come back after you've done a simple Google search and check the facts. Take a moment to ask the important questions that we should always carry in our hearts when we're on social media. Is this story, is this story properly sourced? Can I find out where this story came from? If you can't find out where a story came from, if you can't find where the source is, it's probably best not to share it. If you can find out where the stories came from, if you can find the source, then that's a great opportunity to actually go to the website and, and check the information. This week, I had a friend who shared some, some information on social media that she said came from the CDC, and, and I was curious, so I went to the CDC website, and I discovered that the information she was giving didn't at all line up with what was actually on the CDC website. Take a moment. Take a moment to check the story. Find out whether it's true. Don't share it just because it, it lines up with our way of seeing the world and who we think the good guys and who we think the bad guys are. Share nothing out of bitterness or out of partiality. Never share anything if we're not sure, 100% confident that it's true. Because, because when we share things that aren't true, we give people to doubt, to doubt our credibility and our honesty. And most important, James says, most importantly, when people care enough to reach out and, and correct you, when people see that you've, you've believed a lie or you've said something that isn't true, it is so easy to become defensive. It's so easy to, to double down and to defend an untruth. It's so easy to say, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. What matters is that it expresses what I feel and I think it makes some good points. It is so easy to become defensive in that moment when somebody cares enough to, to reach out and correct us. But in that moment, James says, instead of becoming defensive... Let all the world find you gentle and peaceable and willing to yield, willing to be corrected, willing to thank someone who takes the time and cares enough to correct us. Now, the internet can be a confusing place filled with untruths and half-truths and filled with misinformation. And it's never been easier to make a lie seem like the truth than it is right now with all of the tools and technology that the internet and computers and cell phones give us. But God has given us an amazing gift. God has given us the gift of a, a church family. People who will walk beside us in the real world and people who will walk beside us on the internet. People who will help us to see things we don't want to see. People who will correct us when we, when we accept an error or swallow an untruth hook, line, and sinker. People who will help us to see things that we don't want to see in ourselves and in the world. God has given us a, a gift. We never have to be alone. We never have to do this alone. And if in that moment when a friend, when a brother, a sister, a sibling in Christ reaches out and corrects us, if in that moment we could be peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, then maybe the internet, maybe social media, this, this place that is so filled with lies and rumors and half-truths, maybe it could become a place where the gospel is practiced and where the gospel is believed because the people who proclaim the gospel are believable. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for this gift that you have given us, these people in our church family who will help us to see the truth when we can't see the truth. 
who will help us to hear your voice when we can't hear your voice, who will help us to feel your presence when we can't feel your presence. God, we pray that the world would find us to be honest and credible, that the world would find us to be peaceable and gentle and willing to yield, that the world would find in us people who care whether a story is true or whether it is untrue, so that when we tell them that your love is powerful enough to raise us from the dead, they would begin to believe and begin to rise. In Jesus we pray. Amen.